Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Uh, it's really, really great to have many of you here. Uh, I think of like just how uh, easy it is for the season to be about so many other things and that you're here this morning. And you've heard it already. If you're visiting, a special welcome. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, a special welcome. You might be surprised, but we gather together every Sunday, you know, and we do this and we remind each other of how much God loves us and how much we're learning to love each other. I don't know about you, but the, the Christmas season reminds us how we have people in our lives that we really don't love, but we have to tolerate them during the holidays. You have people like that in your family? Uh, I don't. Wink, wink. Okay. But, but we realize that love is not an easy thing, and, and we're reminded at this time of year that God's trying to do something in us that teaches us to forgive and to be joyful for the right things and to experience peace in the midst of stress And all of these things are kind of embedded in the Christmas story. And so if you're not familiar with Christmas, one of the things we love to do is we like to kind of go back to reading the Bible, letting the story of Christmas in the Bible shape us in a new way. And you know the people who have the most problem with this are people who know the story well. Usually it's people who are like, I've been a Christian my whole life and I know the story. It's the worst thing because you're like, you think you know the story and it sometimes makes it easy to miss what God might be trying to say to you or to me. And so this morning, I want to help you understand an important part of the Christmas story that I don't think I think of enough. And I thought about it this year because I went to an open house, a Seaship open house with my oldest son. And I don't know if you've experienced that, seeing your kids go to different, you know, journeys of their life. And as parents or grandparents, friends, you know, you, you want the best for your kids. You know, I saw some of you looking at your kids up here, your grandchildren, and like your phone, you can zoom in just on them. Yeah, you're like, I don't even care if the other kids are there. I just want my baby. They're going to be amazing and they're special. They're not that special, but anyway. It's like we have this vision of our kids or our grandchildren. They're like, they're the most important person in the world. And, you know, I feel that as a dad sometimes. And I, I'm walking around CJEPs with my son and I'm thinking all of the parents who are with their kids are praying for the best for their kids. They've worked so hard. They've dedicated time. They've been praying. They, they, you know this, like, we want to give our kids all of the options. We've set money aside. We want them in the best schools. And, and this is the time where we ask them, what are you really going to do with your life? What do you want to be? You know, we ask them when they're small, what do they want to be when they grow up, right? But now is the pre it's about to hit now, right? When your kids are young and you ask them what they want to be and they say, a ninja, you're like, go get him, tiger. It's going to be great. But if your kids are like 18 and you're in the CJEP line and you're like, so all these things, what are you going to be? And they say, a ninja. You failed as a parent. It's a huge fail. We have these dreams for our kids. We want them to be something amazing. And I realized this year that in the Christmas story, there's people in the Christmas story whose parents never asked them what they want to be when they grow up. There's two boys in particular in the Christmas story that before they're even born, their parents know what they're going to be when they grow up. 
One of those is John the Baptist. And if you were here last week, you, we talked about him. Pastor Michael talked about how John is the special, like he comes before Jesus to begin to prepare us as we wait and hope and look around and see a broken world and, and wonder, can God really fix the mess that we've made? Does God still do that? John comes, and I can imagine the conversation with John and his parents when he says, hey, Dad, I want to be like an astronaut. I want to be a carpenter. And the dad's like, John, God's already told us what you're going to be. You're going to do something special, and you're going to prepare the people for Jesus' coming. When you think about Jesus, who before he's born, we kind of know that something special is happening with his story and who he is. But I also think of other people in the story. Think of the young Mary and Joseph. When you picture Mary and Joseph, if you think about Mary and Joseph in your mind, you realize how young they might be. New parents, not well off, poor, and wondering, is God going to use us? Like, they're just obedient. There's something in this story that pushes us to believe that God is doing something with obedient children while some adults are disobedient. I don't know if you've ever felt that in this story. I mean, not all the adults, but many of the adults in the story have been disobedient. I'm going to tell you about one in a little while. But the, can you believe that the, the kids and the children in the story are kind of the obedient ones? They're moving. And anyone who's a parent knows that when kids start being obedient, God is at work. Right? You're like, okay, they just cleaned their whole room. They did it all. I don't know what's happening. It's about God's answering our prayers. But, but there's a movement for us to believe that God is about to restore his people by the obedience of children, of these young ones who are hearing and they're going to respond. And we know the tension of this because in the Bible, if you know the story of Christmas... You know that throughout the history of the people in the Bible, God is warning his people to be careful that they are not disobedient. To be careful that they're not the ones who are going to be open and paying attention, that their hearts don't become proud. And actually, we have all of the writings of the Jewish people that we read about. And I want to read you one passage that I always think about when I think about kids and our role as parents and the church. And it's found in the book of Deuteronomy. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. When you have eaten and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build your fine houses, some of you too, and settle down, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. Do you ever feel the temptation of this? That God's blessings turn into almost blinders from how it's been God who's walked with you all of these years? It's never happened to you. It's happened to me. I'm like, oh, things are great and, you know, just going to do life on my own strength, a bit of positivity, maybe encourage somebody, maybe even give like a little offering. It's going to be great. But God's like, that's not what this is about. Anybody can do that. You can be an atheist and do that. But your heart is your heart God's heart. It is it belong to God. And in the writings of Deuteronomy, this beautiful book, God actually is defining success for his people. He's saying success is not going to be measured by how many nice things you have. It's going to be measured by whether you are those that when I've blessed you with these things, your heart is still mine. Will you be those people? And if you don't pay attention to that, you will forget and you will not pass on this message to the next generation. You will not tell your kids that I was the one who blessed you. You will not pass on how I was faithful and this whole passage is about God setting his people free. You and I know this temptation well. The Bible speaks to the real issues of our hearts, right? of how easy it is for us to forget. And you know what the truth is? Is that when we get to Christmas, we have years and years of years of people in the Bible who have forgotten. I thought about this, this this year, and I've been thinking about this obviously for a few weeks. I thought about what it would look like if we would take the passage in Deuteronomy really, really seriously. 
You go back to the slide with the passage. Like, what it would look like if we really believed this, that God says to us, hey, I've carried you all of these years. Make me the center of everything that you are. I've, I've walked with you when you thought you were alone, and you are still here, and I'm still going to be with you, so make me the center of everything that you do. Prioritize everything around your life, around who I am and my teachings what would it look like? I thought it would look really, really unique if this year as part of our Christmas gifts with our family, we made this a priority with our kids. So I have an idea. I don't know if any of you are into this. Are you, any of you still like into like writing cards for your kids when you give them presents? Anyone? I remember like that phasing itself out as I got older. You know, your kids get older, you're like cards, too expensive. Cards are like $10 nowadays. Who, this is insane. Right? And so I, my parents got, went through a phase where they cut like wrapping paper and write in wrapping paper. Any of you those? Cheap parents. All right, St. Michelle from the hood. Okay, so uh, you cut like paper and you write more. But nowadays, you know, we don't write anymore. But I thought, imagine if we were to write a message to our kids and all the gifts they're going to get this year. And if it was connected to the teachings of Deuteronomy, they would say something like this. This is just me. So I'll, I wrote this for all of you. So if you don't have anything to, to put on your kids' presents, you can take this. Okay, and you can use it. This is what it would say. Something like this. Every Christmas gift you see and receive this year is linked to God's goodness and his provision for us. Worship him and obey him in every circumstance. Never forget that all your dreams and success will mean nothing if you lose sight of that. Could you write this in your kids' gifts this year? Put this in there? Some you need, I'll, I'll leave it up there for a second. You take a picture, you could use this. This is what Deuteronomy would look like in 2022, 23. It would be like everything you see, all of the blessings, everything we have, all the goodness is forever linked God's goodness to us. And if we ever lose sight of that, all of this success and all of these things will mean nothing. The Jewish people didn't take God seriously. And as God blessed them, they became proud. And as God provided for them, they walked away. And slowly, slowly, we feel the weight of the Advent season. Mateo shared this already, and if you've been here, you know this. Advent is this time where the people are waiting for God to forgive them and to heal them and to restore them because they had forgotten him. And they're in this period where they're, they're waiting and they're wondering. And if you were here at the beginning of the series, you know this. Like I, I talked to you about some different nations that show up. They're nations that come with power. They're nations that come and they take the people and they take them back into slavery. Can you imagine like they're slaves again? Christmas begins in this moment where the people are like, it can't be that God is going to restore this. It can't be that God's going to leave us like this much longer. He's going to do something. He's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. He's, he's long-suffering and he cares. Let's, let's keep our eyes open to what he might do next. Now, you might not know this, so for those of you who care about thinking about the bigger picture of the Bible, there's some different empires that show up between the story of the Jewish people and Christmas. One of them I mentioned to you is called the Babylonians. They're like a, a powerful nation. They come. Another, another nation is called the Assyrians. They're like a superpower as well. But one of the most powerful ones that really affects the Jewish people are the Greeks. And the Jewish people are one day going to be introduced to a, a man that people will call the son of God, and his name is Alexander the Great. Alexander was such a great conqueror that when he walked into places, people had these stories they told about how he was born that for sure he was empowered by the gods to do what he did. Alexander the Great was such a powerful ruler in the history of the story of humanity that almost everything after him becomes Greekified. By that I mean he turns everything Greek because he was a Greek ruler. And he, he changes the landscape of the whole world 
So much so that our New Testament today is written in Greek. As the impact of a ruler of this kind of power, that he would change everything, that the people now are slaves and they're even losing their language. Not that we have any conversations about language in Quebec, but I'm just saying, if we did, if we did, it would look something like this. Like we're losing our stories, we're losing our words, we're losing our way to pass on. Alexander had come and he'd conquer everything. And in the midst of all of this tension, in the midst of the weight of this, we are looking to God to do something new. We are looking for God to, to show us that he's going to enter this world and do something special. And if you read your Bible, you know this, that we have four kind of perspectives on the story of who Jesus is. Now, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one for free. If you're online, just send us a note or, you know, you have a tablet. It's easy to read the Bible. But we have four kind of renditions or perspectives on the story of Jesus. And only two of these early writings, they're called Gospels, only two of them really focus on Christmas in particular. And this morning, for our time together, I want to spend some time and look at how Matthew introduces us to Jesus coming. Matthew has a, per a perspective he's going to use, and it's really, really unique. Matthew doesn't say too much about the questions that I often have, right? Like, how, is Jesus a good teenage boy? Like, did Jesus ever have a toothache? Any of you have questions about Jesus like that? Did he clean his room all this time? Did he have matching socks? You know, some of you, he didn't wear socks. I know, I know, I'm just saying. Matthew's not kind of concerned about it. He wants us to go behind the scenes and he wants to show us something that's happening and something that God's doing because at Advent, we get to see God begin to move. And whenever God moves, he always invites us to come and to get honest. I was thinking about my sermon this morning and I was thinking about this question that I felt maybe I want you to feel is how long will you hide? How long will you hide? Part of, I think, what God is saying is people along the movement towards Christmas. He's like, are you done hiding yet? I know. I know what you've done. I know what you're hiding. I know you're pretending to be. Are you tired of hiding now? Because I'm about to come, and when I come, I'm going to shine a light on things that are going on. And God begins to reveal certain things about who we are and who the people in the Bible are, and he asks us, are you tired of hiding? One of my prayers that I have for many of you this year is that you would be tired of hiding. You would be tired of just maybe just pretending to like Christmas or just kind of maybe getting into the season but missing the meaning of what this is about. That you would get so frustrated with just playing kind of this churchy thing and that you would say, God, I want to be ready for what you're going to show me. And I want to respond to what you show me in a way that honors you so that you would remain the center. Matthew begins part of the story and this is what he starts to say. He says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star. And when it rose, and, had come to, when it rose and, we, and we have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Anybody who is not disturbed during this season has not understood Christmas. Part of Christmas is to disturb something in us, to disturb maybe kind of the complacency, to disturb the fact that we're like, yeah, we have our own agendas, to disturb the fact that God's about to do something, and when he does something, he's about to put a light on things, things that have been hidden, things that people have left unattended. And the focus of Matthew's telling us about this is to tell us about a king called Herod. If you picked up the little Christmas book, it's a resource that we provide for you. I talk a little bit about Herod in depth in, in that little resource. 
But Herod was a Jewish ruler at this time, and the Romans loved him because he was able to keep all the Jewish people kind of contained. He made sure that things happened, and, and the Romans loved anybody who controlled the Jewish people, keep them on track, stay out of, don't cause any any problems. And we're told this very strange thing, that non-Jewish people called magi, these these kind of probably astrologers, magicians, they're not Jewish, they're coming to worship the king of the Jews. Anybody who reads the story knows this, something is wrong with this. Something is very strange that non-Jewish people care about the one who's king of the Jews. Like, just think about you and me. It's easy to think about king of the Jews. I'm not Jewish. Why does this story even matter to me? That already in the Christmas story, God's trying to say that the one who's coming is not just for the Jews, although he comes as king of the Jews. There are those who are coming and they're called magi. And I don't know if you've ever seen the image, but many of you know this, right? The image is how many magi is there usually in most of the pictures that we see, right? Three, right? The Bible doesn't really tell us that there's three magi. I actually think there's more like six, but whatever. That's a whole other class. The reason we think it's three is because of the three gifts, right? So we think three, they bring one each. I don't know. I think it works that way. But can you imagine this moment in the story when Herod, who's the king at this time, and there's also an emperor, but he's the king, and he's like, what do you mean we need a king of the Jews? I'm like, I'm right here. Like, what do you mean you're looking for another king? And you could see their gifts. Some of you know the gifts that they brought. Frankincense, okay, I don't know, we can use that. Myrrh, I don't know. But then Herod sees the gold. Imagine, you're like, oh, this is going to be great. We need gold. We always need gold. And can you imagine the Magi saying, whoa, 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 are you the king of the, is it you? It's like, well, the, the, these gifts are not for you then. I don't know if the Bible doesn't tell us that, but I think at some point that would have become a problem. Herod's like, what do you mean? These gifts, the gold, it's not for me? No, not for you. We're looking for the one who the star will point to, and we don't think it's you. At some point, right, you feel the tension of each of us in our own way. We bring gifts to Jesus, and we have to tell all these other people, this is not for you, this is not for you, this is not for you, this only belongs to God. Where is he? In the moment of the story, the Magi are left in this moment, and they're like, this is a tense moment. And we're told that Herod and the people in Jerusalem hear this. We don't know how. It's a Facebook message. I have no idea. Right? They, and they are disturbed. They are disturbed. Because they know a principle of the ancient world. That every time a new king comes into power, those who were there before usually die. Because people who come into power usually assassinate and kill people around them. And they're like, oh, don't tell me we're going to experience another season of civil war, more fighting, more this. I mean, we can't even get through an election without feeling that tension in all our culture, right? Who's in charge and how are things going to go? And the people are kind of disturbed and something is going on and something strange is happening. And so Herod does, I think what I would do. I don't know what you would do. He's like, wait a second. I pay people money to keep me updated on these things. Where are, where are those people? Well, we're told that the people that Herod has around him are these they're religious leaders and they're prophets and they're writing. And so he gets them together and this is what he says. When he heard called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah is to be born. I, I mean, I'm like, how, how do we not get an update on this? How do we not know about this king of the Jews? Because I thought I was the king of the Jews. I don't know if you feel the tension in the room or in the story where you're like, if Herod's upset, somebody's going to die. You feel that? I, I'm just waiting for Merry Christmas. Like, where's that part in the story? That's not how the story works. We're invited to enter the messiness, the disturbance, the struggle that when a new king enters, it should rub us the wrong way. It should push against us and all of the things that maybe have taken the place of the true king. Because he's coming now and he's going to shine a light on these things. 
And we're told that Herod calls these people together and he says to them, you know, does anyone know where, where the king of Jews might be? If you're not familiar with this, part of the teachers of the law, these, you know, they're called the chief priests and the teachers of, law, of the people, were meant to read the story of Israel and to kind of see how might God move, how might God heal our land. We still do this today, by the way. We're always looking for signs that something's going to get better. You know, the, the people who make the most money in our culture are people who look at the signs when they're looking at the stock market. They're always looking for the next bump. Oh, yeah, you got to go watch that, watch that, the next thing. The religious leader's job is to look for the next thing God might do that would help them realize, hey, hey God is restoring things in the land. That means that God is forgiving his people. God is beginning to deal with their disobedience, and he's about to do something that they don't expect, and he comes and he highlights these religious leaders. Can you imagine having pastors and preachers and religious leaders who don't do their job and don't prepare the people at all? They don't, like, get the people ready. Nobody's ready. Instead, Matthew says the people that were more ready are non-Jewish people. The Magi. They're the ones ready. They're the ones paying attention. I told you at the beginning that the most dangerous person to be is someone who thinks they know the story well. Because the story tells us that the people who don't know the story are usually the most open to hear it. And the people who are in the story and should be ready, they're not even aware that the Messiah is coming. And the Magi are wondering, like, what's something's weirds going on here? I think about the things that we miss when we have the Bible or we know the Bible or we read the Bible. This is one of my biggest prayers for my own life. You know why? Because I spend a lot of time reading the Bible. Because I teach it and I'm preparing it. And I always say, God, protect me from hearing this story so often that it stops kind of cutting me at the heart. That it stops correcting me and teaching me and, and making me come to you with humility to pay attention to my pride. Just think of the things that you could miss, that you could have the Bible and hear it and, and miss the things that God is calling you to do. One of the saddest days of our lives is realizing that we've missed some of the things that God wanted to do, but we were distracted. We were doing other things. It was busy. The Magi reveal that Herod and these religious leaders have been hiding how spiritual they are. They've been hiding to be people who should be in tune with God but are not in tune with God. They've been hiding behind a title. They've been hiding behind all of these things. And the, the Magi come and the story says, this, but how long will you think they'll keep hiding? How long do you think they'll keep pretending this game, playing this game? What a great warning for us to say, God, am I kind of hiding, maybe? Am I prone to kind of hide? I, I don't know about you, but I am. I tend to be good at hiding. And I find that today it's so easy to hide behind a lot of things, like good things. Over the years, I've, I've seen people hide behind. It's almost very developed hiding. Maybe God's calling you to a new season, a new chapter in your life, and you know what? Your work schedule's too hard, so sorry, it's not going to work. You can hide behind that. When I was really young and I didn't want to do something that God was calling me to do, what I was learning to follow God, I would hide behind exams. Any people try that? Oh, I have an exam coming up. I can't, sorry. It's really hard to push back against an exam. I remember in my life, one of the things I always used to hide around, I remember being probably around 18 years old or 19 years old, and I could sense that God was saying, Dom, I need you to dedicate yourself to me like fully. And I was like, oh yeah, I already do that. Like kind of I go to church and I read the Bible a bit. I, I do that. And I could sense quietly God saying, no, no, I mean that maybe you need to serve me in a more clear way in the life of the church. And I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that. I don't like people that much. I don't like the church. And you know what I used to hide behind? My family. Because nobody in my family was really a believer. 
So I had a great thing I would say to myself, you know, God, it's not for me. Nobody in my family really kind of believes a lot of this stuff, and we're kind of a, we're a mess. You don't want us anyway. We're, we're a real mess, right? And so I hid behind that. At Christmas, God says to each of us, how long will you hide? And what are you hiding behind? That looks really good up front. Just hide. I can't. It's just I can't. And God says, you don't think I've come to shed light on the things that you're using to hide behind the fact that you are not worshiping me with all of your heart. Advent. It's that time where God starts to say, here you go. I'm going to give you another opportunity to admit that you're hiding. I'm going to give you a chance to see that I'm so loving that when you can just open up and admit this, I'm about to come in and do something you never thought I would do. We're living in a time where we have a crisis of people hiding and misunderstanding so many things. And it's going to feel weird, but I want to show you something that I think is so important to understand. And it, I'll connect it in a second, but over the past few months, I've been kind of reading or studying or preparing for our church, and people often ask me, Pastor Dom, how do you decide what you're going to preach on? I don't know if you've ever thought that. You ever wondered that? If you didn't, it's because you're not praying for me. But a lot of people wonder that. They're like, do you just close your eyes and open up the Bible, put your finger, and then magically something comes? Yeah, that's exactly how it happened. No, I'm kidding. You know, I, and I, I often think about this, and, and when I'm talking to people, when I'm praying, when I'm looking with our staff or with our elders about what, what teaching series is going to happen, I often think about what are things that we need to grow in and learn in. What are we hiding behind that would make us miss what God is calling us to? Well, around September, I think it was September, the, end, the beginning of October, a whole study was done on the state of what people believe about God in kind of the U.S. and some Canadian uh, people picked it up as well. It's called basically the state of theology assessment. Any of you ever heard about this? Probably not. No? All right. That's why I'm pastor. Okay. Uh, it's called the state of theology. And they asked people across the board, people who called themselves Christians, a very simple question. And when I read this, I thought, this is perfect timing for Christmas. Because at Christmas, we get to ask ourselves the same question. You can go to the slide. This is the question that was asked as part of this study. Would Jesus was a great teacher, but was not God? Yes or no? Which one you believe? Just think about it. Simple question. Do you believe Jesus was a great teacher, or do you believe he was God? This was asked to people who call themselves Christians, okay? People who say, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. I try to read the Bible, right? Particularly, there's a word that's used. Sometimes they're called evangelicals. If you've ever heard that word, it's like Protestant people who are part of this movement. They asked this. And the findings for this, this year, was staggering. Did you go to the next slide? That nearly half of U.S. evangelicals say Jesus isn't God. A 13% jump in just two years from 2020 to 2022. That we are living in a time that we've been hiding around something that's made it easy for us to keep saying that we are Christians and we don't even believe some of the most essential things about being Christians. That Jesus was not just a great teacher, although he was that. But he came and he revealed himself to be something so much more than that. How does this happen? Like, what, what should I preach on next year? That it's easy for us to even celebrate Christmas and sing about Christmas and have these beautiful songs and our kids and forget to realize some of this needs to be rooted somewhere deep so that we understand what it means to be a Christian. You know, because if you don't believe that Jesus is really God and he's a good teacher, you could be Jewish or you could be Muslim or you could be a lot of other things, but you can't be a Christian. It's not even that hard. I remember years ago, I was in a university setting and I was on a panel. 
having a discussion with different belief systems, you know, different leaders on the panel. And somebody got up and said, it's just time to admit that Jesus was just a great teacher. And if, you know, and people would just believe that, that that would be fine and the world would be a better place. And I don't know if you felt this. Many people were like, the biggest problem in our world is religious people. Too many religions, they fight, they argue. We need less religion, right? And all these, this debate. It was really interesting. You would have liked it. And, uh, and as we're going through this, you know, I kept hearing this theme. You know, Jesus was just a great teacher. Whether he was God, we're not sure, you know, and whatever, we can believe whatever. And I just, at one point, I remember saying, like, if you believe Jesus was a great teacher, which of his great teachings do you like the most? I asked. And you're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, I, I've never heard of someone say this is a great teacher and yet not say we should do some of the things this great teacher teaches. So I said, you might not have any. Do you believe this great teaching that Jesus said that you can serve God and money? You either will love one or hate the other. Do you believe that one? They're like, kind of quiet. I said, any other great teachings that we believe? It's so easy to say to ourselves, Jesus was a great teacher and not even care to do what the great teachings are. That's the real problem with the season. It's not that Jesus was a great teacher. It's that we don't have it in us to even do the great things he said. And that's why Christmas is so important. Christmas is not just about us saying, hey, this is so nice. We have a nice teacher among, among other great teachers. No, no, no. We have a great teacher and none of us have it in us to do what he said. So we need him to forgive us and to heal us. That's why we worship him as God. That only he can do this. I wanted to try to give you this side note because I think we need to be tired of hiding these are not even hard things to figure out anymore. We have statistics galore. We know all this stuff. And yet none of us are serious enough to say, this year, I want to get serious about understanding and growing and having Jesus at the center of what I believe. And, and these, there's, there's tons of these things that way. Can I take you back to the prophets and to Herod and to what Herod does next in the story before we wrap up? Herod shows up and he goes to the people and this is what they say to Herod. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. If you're taking notes, you want to circle secretly. Herod calls the Magi secretly and found out from them exact, the exact time the star had appeared. Maybe you, you remember this part of the story. That there's a moment where Herod's like, whoa, wait a second, I need to know what you guys have not told me. And... He then goes privately to the Magi and says, hey, guys, let's talk about the gold. No, he doesn't say that. But he, he, he just says, can you tell me exactly when you saw the star and how this is going to work? I, I put a little note there for you so you can see. The religious leaders, these chief priests and teachers, they quote from the prophet Micah. If you were here when the service started, 1030, right? Start, right, right, okay. Uh, Mateo, Mateo introduced a welcome by reading from the prophet Micah. The prophet Micah is one of the best prophets that Herod would have hated to hear from. You know why? Because if you hear, read the prophet Micah, Micah talks continually about corrupt leaders. Continuously. Micah's like, God hates injustice. God hates corruption. God hates that you're taking advantage of the poor. God hates that you've done this, this, and this, and this. Can you imagine Herod being like, hey, when we do our little teaching, let's low on the Micah. Keep the Micah low. Not too much Micah. And the religious leaders, they tell Herod, no, no. It's Micah talks about this. If only we were reading Micah, we would know that this is where he comes from. And God begins to stir that Herod. This is every time I read this, I don't know if that, every time I read this, I think this is the moment that Herod should say, I was wrong. I have been the worst leader. 
I've been so corrupt. I killed my ex-wife. I killed my sons. I love money. This is the moment you're waiting for it, right? That it's like, Herod, listen, if you needed any more signs, this would be it. Magi are here. They see a star. Nobody's prepared you for this. This is a great time to say, God, forgive me first. Like, forgive me. I'm so, like, I've not lived up to the kind of king I should have been. But that's not what Herod does. Herod, like, ramps up the crazy to level 100. He just is like, no, no, let's just go crazy killing. He's like, no, no, you go and tell me first. And he quietly tells the Magi, you go ahead and you, you tell me. You tell me where you're going to be. And let me know when you find him because I can't wait to come and worship him too. That's what he says. What a great person. He's so good at hiding. Do you know people that are this good at lying and hiding? Have anyone in your family that's good at this? Hopefully we all feel like we're good at this at hiding and pretending that we care to worship when we don't. We don't care about prioritizing God, and Herod's like, oh, this is going to be good. When you guys tell me where he is, I'm going to come and worship. I'm going to get my own gifts ready. We're going to come. It's not what happens at all. That's what we're told. The kids are wild in there. It's amazing. It's this. Joy, a lot of joy there. He, Herod, sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. You go, go look for him. It's going to be important. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. They went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Overjoyed. Some of you who are aware of the story know that by the time the Magi get to Jesus, he's probably like a, maybe a year old already. I know it's hard to sell that under the Christmas tree story, right, because the Magi are there. But the, the truth of the story is it takes a while for them to finally find Jesus. Actually, one of the things that we celebrate is Epiphany, which is the celebration of the Magi getting to Jesus. But because I wanted you to feel the, the tension of the story, I wanted you to feel what it would have been like for these Magi to have traveled with all of these gifts, with all of this time, looking at the star and realizing these Jewish people are not ready, but God has prepared us to find the star. Where is he? Where is the new king? Where is the new king that's come? And when we see him, we will worship him first. We will go first. And the Bible says this beautiful thing. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. What comes to mind when you think of the word overjoyed? You picture in your mind overjoyed. Maybe you picture like a young boy or girl getting their favorite gift at Christmas. They open it up and they're like, my goodness, my parents bought me a puppy. I don't know. I'm not into puppies, but I'm just saying. You think of overjoyed Christmas and kids it connects to the sense of so much joy. They're so excited. Are the Magi dancing in your mind? Are the Magi singing in their overjoyedness? Are the Magi overjoyed like this? Like, it's going to be cool. All right. I can't wait to meet this guy. Does that sound like overjoy? What does overjoy mean? Actually, the, the biblical word for this is so beautiful. It's a verb. To be overjoyed is not a feeling. It's a verb. It's an action word. That's meant they're experiencing a deep movement of joy. And Matthew says you need to feel this in the story, that when nobody really is aware, the Jewish people are not ready, they're distracted, Herod's a killing crazy person, these magi, they're ready and they're overjoyed. We're going to have to do some of this this year, by the way, because we still live in a world where many people are not going to be ready for Christmas. They don't even really care about Christmas. They're busy doing their own thing. And we will either be those who continue hiding and pretending that this kind of story matters or we're going to listen to the Bible and say, we want to experience what the Magi experienced. We want to bring gifts, and we want to say, we brought these to worship the true king, and we can't wait to let his joy, 
do something in us this year that we've never maybe let happen in the past. The team's going to come and lead us in the last song before we're done. And I have just something to share with you that I, I want you to maybe do this week. I want you to take some time in your just quiet time, if you can find some. I know it's hard to maybe find quiet time. But maybe in the morning before you get up and maybe pick up your phone or when you're having a coffee or whatever, just write down a list of things that have brought you joy in your life. What are some of those things? Because every time we look at the theme of joy and we follow joy, it usually points to something deep that God is trying to get our attention on. A lot of the blessings that we've experienced are because God has loved us and cared for us. And I want you to pay maybe special attention if you're not feeling joy this season. If you're feeling just the burden of things that you are not even able to say, God, this is a season of great joy. That if you read the Bible, there's this overjoyment. And I don't mean like positive thinking joy. I don't mean like I can't wait to escape to the spa joy. I mean joy in now. The joy that God is doing something beautiful and he's healing and restoring and forgiving and present with us, with you and with me. I want to just show you this very simple idea and it's so important at Christmas that we understand this and it's easy to miss this, what I'm going to tell you next. That Matthew begins his telling of the Christmas story by telling us about who? The Magi? Herod? And this wonderful joy that is stirring in the story. This overjoy that's happening and that we're invited into. And we're, we're called to say, I don't want to hide. I'm not pretending anymore. I want this joy. I want to live out of this joy. I want to lead my family out of this joy. And at the end of his gospel, Matthew's going to bring up the same word again as he closes his gospel. And in English, it might, it's easy to miss. But in the Greek, it's very easy to see because they're the same word. And if you know in English, when you translate a word in different passages, it, it looks different. But I want to go to the, the way Matthew ends his gospel. And this is what he says. See the word overjoyed. Just go to the last slide. There's this. So the women hurried from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples, Jesus was dead, now he's alive. And suddenly Jesus met them, and the word greetings is the same word for overjoyed. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. I don't know if you can imagine the idea that at the beginning of the story, the Gentiles, these magi, have come and now they're overjoyed that Jesus is really the one they've been waiting for. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, he's going to say that same joy is there when Jesus is raised from the dead. And Matthew's saying, I want you to live in the tension of this joy. I want you to imagine that God is moving and speaking and trying to reveal himself in new ways to you as you consider joy in your life. What kind of things make you joyful? What kind of things stir great joy in you? We're going to sing this song that we sang earlier, and it's about Christmas Day. In the next few days, we're going to invite you to come and continue learning with us. And there's going to be a lot of things that will happen between now and then that will steal your joy. It's life. I've been a pastor long enough to be with people who on Christmas Eve, a loved one dies. When they thought they'd have a party and their kids are sick. All the things that could happen might just happen. But Jesus says, I have a kind of joy that is beyond that for you. If you come, just understand that I should be the center of everything. Let's just stand as we sing this song before we close.
sing the chorus together on Christmas Day. store for you as we pay attention to God in any way this season. You know, in 1995, scientists and astrophysicists discovered something they had never seen before in our solar system. They're now called exoplanets. If you've ever heard of this, exoplanets are planets that exist outside of our solar system. And one amazing thing about exoplanets is that they're invisible. You can't see them. And one of the greatest astrophysicists of our time says this about them. He says, when we discover a new planet, we don't actually see the planet. We see the impact of an area based on its host star. And as the star moves, we become aware that there's something else that is there. 
And I thought about the power of a star in our solar system and beyond our system that has this pull. It has a gravitational pull and it moves a planet in certain directions. You can't actually see the planet. But you know that something else is happening there because that star is there. I thought when I read this, I thought this is something about the truth of what happens at Christmas. That there's a star there and some people are not even ready to go to the star or see the star. But something is happening around that star that is maybe even invisible to our eyes but is a sign of something else that's going on. And in the next two weeks, three weeks, you and I will have a chance to continue to move closer to what it is that Jesus does for us. Can I just encourage you, whatever it looks like in your schedule, to prioritize doing that with us? For the sake of your kids, for the sake of your own journey, for the sake of the peace and the joy that God has in store for us this year. You look at your schedule and say, I'm really, really busy, but I've set time aside to come and worship and to learn. Because I know that there's so many stories in the Bible of people who just pretended to worship God. And at Christmas, God comes to shine a light on them. Let's just pray before we close. Father, you are so good to us. And you remind us that we are those who need a Savior to come and to restore the things that are broken in our lives and in our world. And you don't do this by the way of the world. You don't do this with power or with might, but you do it with a child, children. You invite us into a different way of seeing healing and forgiveness happen. And all around us are signs and things that maybe are meant to get our attention. Maybe they're things from you to call us to this deeper place of worship. Would you protect us from the temptation to hide? Would you call us back to the truth that you are the God that calls us out of hiding because you love us and you are aware that we needed you before we understood what that meant? in the messiness and the busyness of the season, would you help us to set aside focused time when we can come and worship and learn and grow? Jesus, would you remind us that you have a special joy that cannot be found in this world? It's a joy that draws the nations to you. It's a joy that brings people from afar to say, yes, you are the one we've been waiting for. And it's a joy that we need in our own lives and in our homes. Would you give us a glimpse of that this year in a way we've never understood it before? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before you rush off, we just want to mention quickly that we have just some people who pray in our prayer space back there. If you want to talk or pray, we would love to just pray with you. We've shared our calendar as well of some dates that are coming up. Prioritize those. If you want to buy a little thing in our, in our little foyer there, you can do that or give. You can also do that on your way out. God bless everyone. Love you guys. Pick up your kids.